Hey there, this is Larry, and I'm here with Armin. You're about to listen to a great episode. But before you do, we want to let you know that we're now podcasting over at the Bold Idea Podcast. That's right, and we're not adding any new episodes to Reinventure Me, but we think you're really going to like what we're doing on the Bold Idea Podcast. We're interviewing some great guests and packing ideas and inspiration to help you put your faith to work to bring your idea to life. So when you're done with this episode, go check it out at boldideapodcast.com. Episode 71 of the Reinventure Me Podcast. You meet someone, and in an instant, you formed an impression about them, and them about you. But what happens when their first impression of you is not what you want it to be? Well, that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Reinventure Me. Find your next great beginning. Welcome to the Reinventure Me Podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the podcast for What's Next in Life. I'm Larry Gates. And I'm Armin Asadi. And we are your co-hosts for the adventure that we're calling Reinventure Me because we want to help you discover new ways to reinvent your life, your opportunities, and the venture God's called you into. What we're talking about in this episode is how to overcome a bad first impression. So oh, man. let's start off with an inspire me. All right. So I actually just learned about this lady. Her name is Lily Tomlin. She's hilarious. <laughs> Larry just introduced me to her. Yeah. And so, I've got to show you all the Mr. Beetle videos on yes, YouTube. For, yes. Keep enlightening my generation <laughs> through me, please. So Lily Tomlin says, sometimes I feel like a figment of my own imagination. And no, she's not crazy. She's just really funny. <laughs> she is funny. And <laughs> feeling like a figment of my own imagination. It fits with this episode in a way because what we want to talk about today is how we form first impressions. Yes. And oftentimes they don't match what we think about ourselves. So true. And most of the time, what we think about ourselves probably isn't accurate anyway. It's a figment of our own imagination. Yeah, we're our worst critic and we're usually our harshest judge. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we often project something that we're really not as well. Which is awkward a lot of times for me, but we won't get into that. (laughs) Yeah. So here's the question we want to wrestle with. What do you do when you meet someone and they form an impression about you and you know that it's not really who you are? You might have messed up. How do you correct that? Are you asking me? Because I'm sitting here. I'm about to ask you all the questions, Larry. I am the king of bad impressions, not fixing them, just making them. <laughs> right. So I hope you're not asking me that question. <laughs> well, that's the question we want to talk about. I'm down to talk about it. I'm just down to ask all the questions so I can learn now. <laughs> well, I like what Abraham Lincoln wrote one time. He said, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. <laughs> Good man. Good man. <laughs> you know, that's such an unusual thing to say. Yeah. When we don't, when we run across somebody and we don't like them for whatever reason, maybe it's not an accurate impression and we don't know it. Yeah. Especially when you know that you don't like them. I mean, Abraham Lincoln saying, I must get to know him better. He's actually activating cognitive processing, something that psychologists refer to as a part of our brain that is forcing awareness to occur. Hmm. Because naturally we meet people and we form all kinds of biases just off the top of our head. Right. And we don't give them the benefit of the doubt and we don't get to know them better. We just form an impression. Yeah. And so I think that's really, really. I just love it because he's just taking responsibility for his own assessment of someone rather than making that person live with that. He's saying, I got to get to know him better. I love that. Yeah. 
who wouldn't want to be a friend of Abraham Lincoln when Indeed. he's going to give you that kind of benefit of the doubt? I just want to try on his hat. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> this idea of first impressions falls into a little bit of a principle that we've talked about in the Gates family here. We've exercised for quite some time. And I don't know if we've talked about this on our previous podcast or not, but we have a rule called the four minute rule. And the four minute rule basically says that the first four minutes of every encounter sets the tone for the rest of the encounter. So we want the first four minutes of any interaction. It's like if you come over, we go into studio together. I like to try to make the first four minutes of our exchange to be a positive exchange, not to hear, this is what I need you to do, whatever, you know, if it's all business and not relational and say, how are you doing? Then you form an impression and it sets the tone for how the rest of that conversation is going. You might feel like you've been manipulated or used or whatever slave driver Larry. slave driver me Jeez, yeah you know, come on it's really a hard thing to do though to think about especially when you're in task mode you get together with somebody you, you see them for the first time hmm. and you're instantly into task mode with them as opposed to connecting with them and finding out maybe that would how be things me are and my going business partner a lot of times yeah, yeah well that's and you just assume that's what they want to do too and yeah it is a variant of this idea of first impressions, Yeah, but it's something that you can kind of exercise with everybody, regardless of what impression they have of you already. You can exercise this first four-minute rule. And we used to teach the kids not to jump on dad when he comes home and say, can you take me out? You know, yeah. first of all, give dad a chance to unwind. Yeah. And my wife used to teach me to do the same with her, <laughs> you know, when I come home, is to make sure I enter into what their first four minutes are like as well. Yeah, you didn't call it the first four minute rule for me. But what I remember one of the things that you talked about is that you never walk into the house being on the phone. Yes. So a lot of times, I mean, especially in what you do, you spend so much time on the phone, conference right. calls, light, da, da, da. But you never bring your work inside the home. So once end of the day, even if you're on the call, you just stand outside or yep. in your car until the call's over and then you walk in and engage. Yes. Right? Yes. And that is an application of the first four minute rule. Yeah. And so that's something I've applied. Mm -hmm. I don't think you called it the first four minute rule, but when I'm actually capable of remembering it, which is only 50% of the time, very effective, very useful. And I really appreciate that tip. Yeah. So tip to parents when your teenager comes home and they haven't done what you've asked them to do, don't bring that up in the first four minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wait. I just think it works out much better when you don't. Well, we want to talk though about what happens when we make a bad uh, first impression and we need to talk about how impressions are formed to begin with. Yeah. So you got this scientifically broken down thanks to some book that you read. So yeah, I just uh, finished reading a book by Heidi Grant Halverson called no one understands you and what to do about it. And I just think this is an excellent book. I can't recommend it enough. She's done a really good job writing very accessibly and with some humor about how it is that we form impressions about people, what we need to do to correct them, Hmm. and really what's some of the psychology and science behind how impressions are formed. So a lot of what we're going to talk about in this episode is really drawn from the work that she put together in this book. And as I said, I can't recommend that book highly enough. I did write a blog review of that book on my blog. So if you want to read a little bit about it, you can go out to LarryGates.com and look for the review my most recent review on the book, No One Understands You and What to Do About It. But she starts off and she says that when we meet people, we make two assumptions. And these are all unconscious. We're not really aware that we do it, but we make two assumptions. And the first assumption is that others are going to see us as objectively as we see ourselves. Hmm. Right. And it's just like, hey, who I am is who I am. And others are going to see us that way. Right. And the other assumption we make is that others will see us as we see ourselves. Well, the problem is both of those assumptions are wrong, you know, because 
we come at people with a perception based on our own experiences. You know, I might have met somebody, for instance, that looks like somebody I used to work with or maybe somebody that I didn't like. Yeah. And I will start to transfer my thoughts about that other person onto this person. Mm -hmm. And I do it unconsciously, yeah. not even aware of it. Or we might see certain physical characteristic that they have, mm -hmm. and I might draw some conclusions about them. You know, maybe they're a little sloppy in what they wear. So I'd say, <laughs> hey, they're not to be trusting. They're not reliable because they can't even button their shirt, right? right. You know, or whatever it is, we form impressions about people, and they may not be accurate. Different example. I kind of grew up in the projects when I first moved to America. Growing up in projects, you're surrounded by a lot of gangs. Mm -hmm. So I understood hats that were cocked to either left or right oh, represented sure. different gangs. Right. Moved to suburbia where I became the darkest person there all of a sudden. And it was a very big shift. And I remember watching these guys living in suburbia wearing their hats and cocking them to the right, but none of the other outfit matched. So I always thought, why are they part of these gangs? I always assumed that they were some kind of thugs or gangsters because of the way that they wore a hat. But mm -hmm. I realized in the hood, that was gang-related. But in suburbia, it's they just, just fashion. fashion. <laughs> it meant absolutely it nothing. means nothing. But I just assumed, no, you're a gang member living in suburbia. That's weird. <laughs> but and most of us have biases that we've formed that we're not even aware of. Yeah, and I automatically didn't like these people. Right, right. Well, years ago, Daniel Kahneman wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And in this book, he describes two different systems that exist within our brain. Now, these aren't separate systems, but he uses this convention to talk about what he describes system one and system two is. And it's really important to understand how this works because it really does affect how we are perceived and how others perceive us. And system one is what he describes as our subconscious, our unconscious biases that are formed there. And basically, okay. we're just looking to see if there's anything that is out of the ordinary. Okay. And we're basically just like wanting routine, and system one is just everything has its way of doing things. So it's going to take all the shortcuts in the world. Okay. You meet somebody, system one's already checked in. You know, they're balding. So I've got impressions about balding people or they're, you know, whatever. Right. You just form all these things. They're all subconscious. That's all out of system one. System two is where you actually do the cognitive processing. You're actually thinking, you're analyzing, you're comparing information. That takes work. And the problem is, is when you meet somebody, your brain is a miser. One of the psychologists referred to the, our brain as a lazy piece of meat. Sounds right? about right. <laughs> and the reason is, is it likes to take shortcuts. And the reason for the shortcuts is because though your brain is about 2 to 3% of your body mass, it consumes about 20 to 30% of the energy okay. that it takes to run your body. That's crazy. Yeah. So it tries to save where it can in order to spend the energy that it needs in order to work on things that are really important. Mm. So it's cutting back and cutting corners. Okay. When you meet somebody, you have cut all kinds of corners with them and made all kinds of assumptions that are based a lot on your history and a lot on maybe some of their mannerisms that you're trying to sort out. And you might say, oh, I'm really good. I've got good intuition about people. Well, it isn't necessarily good intuition you might be having about them. It might be that you have a whole wealth of experience of meeting a lot of people and you formed a lot of associations and you've created a lot of biases. Right. And so what Abraham Lincoln was basically saying is, when I know that I don't like somebody 
I can feel that in my gut. That's my system one telling me, be aware of that person. Mm -hmm. I intentionally go over to system two and I say, I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to think through it and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay. So let me get this right. So system one, that's just assumptive. For example, I see a guy who's really muscular. I I automatically assume beefcake, meathead, dumb. Yes. Or a blonde, you know? Yeah. Gotta be dumb. You're right. Or blonde. You know, my, I hope or they wife, have a lot of fun. My wife is not. Or, listening, or they're hopefully. for. Or they're from California. Yeah. You know any of those associations sure. that you have. Right. Yeah. So. And then so and then system two being rather than going to the assumptions, you start analyzing. So whether that's mannerisms, eye contact, content of information that they're giving, that kind of stuff is that about right? Yes. Okay. So system two will be when you actually are thinking through what it is that they might be doing or saying, and you're giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's when you're actually asking questions and probing for information. Now, Heidi Grant Halverson refers to that as phase one, phase two. And so whether you take Kahneman's descriptions or Heidi Grant Halverson's doesn't matter. We're really talking about the fact of the brain taking shortcuts. Now, one of the shortcuts that we tend to take, and one of the big ones when we meet someone is what's called confirmation bias. And that is we're expecting to see something when we see them. You know, So when we meet somebody like you discussed, you meet somebody that like can barely stay in their shirt because they're so muscular. Right. You're kind of expecting... Which is the uh, issue I have often. I, I, well, I was going to say, Armin, because I'm just barely able to stay in your huge, shirt here. Yeah, I'm huge. <laughs> <laughs> but you, know, you look at somebody and you draw some conclusions about them and you're looking for anything that can support that conclusion because we don't want to spend time with information that doesn't support it. So we unconsciously discard it. Yeah. Now, you can prime somebody with this, and this is why gossip is such a hard, hard thing. Because if I tell you, hey, I know you're going to meet with so-and-so, but be careful because you know they're really egotistical and they've only got an agenda for themselves. Now, if I primed you with that thought and you didn't have that thought about them before, yeah. guess what? You're on the lookout for them. You're vigilant. It's and true. anything they say now is going to look just like I just, see, didn't I tell you? Yeah. Just ruin takes, that person for me. Yeah, unless you don't trust me, you will assume that what I said about them is true. Yeah, which I hate it when people do that because one, it ruins them to me. They become a person I can't trust. Mm -hmm. And then two, no matter how hard I try to not think about what they said about whoever this person is, I can't get it out of my head. I can't delete that, you know? So right. I, I remember it. one time there was a guy at Cray, at one of my coworkers, this guy was a project manager. Okay? okay. And one of my coworkers described him as the antichrist of project management. <laughs> well, Little you can dramatic. imagine now every time I see this guy, that's all I can think of as the antichrist of project management, you know? This guy's demonic. Now. <laughs> and of course, then I'm vigilant to look for all the things that he does that is antichrist of project management like, to you confirm know? Confirm it, yeah. To confirm it. So that's the confirmation bias. So there's another effect that we take in terms of shortcut that's called the primacy effect, and that is that we tend to look at the earliest information that we get about somebody and it colors our view of the rest of the information that we get. So when we see someone, for instance, we form an opinion and once we form that opinion, it's really hard to reverse it. Hmm. And that's why William Rogers said, you never get a second chance to make a first impression. Yeah. Because once that first impression is formed, it's really hard to reverse it because everything inside of us wants to defend the first impression that we have and we'll just look for ways in which to reinforce it. Hmm. 
I was going to say how often people think I'm Muslim just because I'm Middle Eastern or because they heard me greet someone for saying Salam Alaikum, yeah. automatically assuming just based on I give that greeting to a Muslim friend of my business partner is Muslim, right? Right. right. The automatic assumption. Yep. He is Muslim and everything that comes out of my mouth after that is based through a Muslim lens. Yep. And so because that you've got that first impression that's so indelible, if you want to change that first impression, you've got to get their attention. Right. You've got to activate that system too. You know, basically it's the issue of go big or go home right. because moderate change is not going to make a difference. You've got to actually stand out yep. because that system one has to go, oops, there's something out of pattern here. Mm-hmm. You know, Muslims don't act like that and you didn't act like a Muslim. Yeah. So you must not be a Muslim, you know, so you cause the system two to wake up and that's what you have to do when you get into that. I like it. So there's two other effects left. There's the halo effect and the false consensus effect. So what are those about? Yeah, you talked about the halo effect a little bit. And when you said a muscular person has certain characteristics, but halo effect means one characteristic must mean the presence of other characteristics. Uh Okay, so in other words, they might be physically attractive. Well, if they're physically attractive, they're also smart or mm. they're also whatever. And a halo effect can also occur when you look at somebody to be successful. Maybe they sold their business. Well, if they sold that business and it made a lot of money with it, well, they're successful at doing businesses. And we don't count for luck or the right. contribution of other people or just great market conditions being in the right place at the right time. There's all kinds of things, but we just say, oh, that's them. And we label them as that's who they are, right? Should have called it the ripple effect. The ripple effect. That would have made more sense than the halo effect. (laughs) I automatically assume they're angelic. (laughs) Everything they do is good. Well, everything kind of casts a halo is the idea behind that. And then the other one that you mentioned is the false consensus consensus effect. And that is that we tend to think that other people feel the same way about things that we do. Mm. So if I hate this, then certainly everybody ought to hate this. Especially my wife. I always force her to agree with me even when she doesn't. What do you mean you don't agree with me? Yeah, can't you see this? I hate LeBron James and his blah, blah, blah. Right. I don't care about right. basketball. We take shortcuts like that. We just assume that people think about things the way we think about it. We tend to characterize certain people in a certain frame and say that they have different characteristics that they may not have. We look at the earliest information that we get about somebody and we don't change it very quickly. And then we also look for ways in which we confirm our initial impressions. Yeah. That's the confirmation bias. So those are all the shortcuts we take because our brain is stingy with energy. That's true. Especially mine. (laughs) There's this other aspect of this topic where we're talking about the three different lenses that we view people through. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so, so what are those and break that down for Yeah, me. so Dr. Halverson, I think, really nicely describes three ways in which we view people. And they're the questions when we meet people that we ask ourselves, and it's largely subconscious. Okay. Now, you can become aware of them, but I think by and large, we ask ourselves these questions. The first one is the trust lens, and we're really asking the question, can this person that I'm meeting be trusted? Do they have good intentions toward me, and can they act on whatever their intentions are? You know, so I need to know that they're there competent and I need to know that they are warm toward me. If mm-hmm. I got that, then I can, I, I can trust them. Now, when you meet somebody for the first time, you can convey those things pretty simply if you just do some things like paying attention when you're talking to them, you know, that's usually helpful. It seems like a very simple <laughs> thing, but it shows warmth, right? When you yeah. have eye contact, when you ask questions, when you're attentive, all of those things are valuable, showing empathy, all of that stuff 
smiling face, once in a while. Smiling. And a big <laughs> one is showing vulnerability. You know, we've talked about that before. Yeah. When you can be a little bit vulnerable, even just a little bit vulnerable, it brings down that resistance barrier that says, can I trust you? And I remember one guy that I met in the first meeting that I had with him, he started telling me about some things that were very, very vulnerable for him. Mm. And I realized as I went away from that, that that's a person I wanted to spend more time with. I mm. just instantly, he left that first impression for me was so powerful because he was willing to just be real with mm. who he was. Yeah. So that's a terrific way to... My generation loves that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Millennials look for that. Oh, God. Yeah. It's a magnet for us. Yeah. Now, this idea of trust is so important that one researcher in Heidi Grant Halverson's book, Amy Cuddy from Harvard, suggested that just showing warmth and confidence accounts for 90% of whether you're perceived to be trustworthy or not. That's a staggering statistic. Wow. And yeah, so just is. think about how do you come across showing both warmth and confidence. Hmm. Confidence really comes forward when you show some modesty and what your accomplishments are and your skills and your abilities and what you've done. And when you even just show good posture, you know, mm -hmm. it shows that you're confident. When you see people and they're slouching or they're doing whatever, you're not quite sure how confident or competent they are in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. When you meet somebody and they project themselves well, they, they look at you in the eye, they don't shrink back, they don't show themselves to curl into a ball, then you go, these are people that, you know, I can trust. They have a little bit of strength to them. Have you ever heard of a guy named Lance Wall now? No. Okay. So I met this guy in California. Long story short, first guy that ever told me, when you look at people, you look very, very intense and borderline intimidating. Try this trick. And I know he basically taught me, smile with your eyes. Yeah. So even when I smiled, I wouldn't smile with my eyes, but I was completely unaware and could care less, you know, and then I realized I'm probably intimidating people. <laughs> That's not at all my goal. And I realized, oh, you can actually smile with your eyes. Yeah. Because right. I hated fake smiling. I just thought it was so stupid. I don't want to put a fake smile on my face just to make someone feel comfortable. Yeah. There's one guy at a church that I'm at. I, I asked a, another friend, I said, is everything okay with this guy? Do you know? And he says, oh yeah, he's fine. As far as I know. I said, well, somebody should inform his face. <laughs> <laughs> Because he, he comes across like he's got a chip on his shoulder and things uh, are not going well. And I was totally that guy. And I think oftentimes we do that and we're not aware of it. So yeah. it's great to have feedback like that, that, you know, you just. Yeah. And the guy doesn't even know me from Adam. It was just. Right. He was just a speaker at this big event and we just happened to meet. And... Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I, I'm looking at you. You're behind a microphone screen. I can't even see your mouth, but I can see that you're smiling with your eyes. Yeah, so you're go doing figure. It, it's right? a real thing. Right? Yeah, I it thought is. he was of nuts when he is. told me that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so what's the next thing on now, there? The trust lens is one way in which we look at people and that we're trying to size up. Can I trust them? The second is the power lens. And we're really asking, do they have power over me? Do they have a way to influence what's important to me? And power doesn't necessarily just mean an organizational power in terms of boss or whatever. But right. suppose you borrow money from somebody, you know, yeah. now the person you borrow money from has a little bit of power over you. The key here is to understand that people that have power over another person view them differently than the people that don't have the power. Yeah. So if you have power over someone, you're not likely to pay much attention. You're going to stay in your system one Yep. because there's not much that they are going to do that's going to disrupt what your goals are. Mm -hmm. But if you are the power less or lesser power person, power in, under, in, uh, <laughs> power under, whatever. Yeah. You're going to be very vigilant 
about how you can impress or cajole <laughs> or meet the need of somebody who's in the power position because yeah. what they're doing for you is very critical. It's very important. So you're going to be more cautious about it. Changing the attitude or the perception of a person in power is extremely difficult because they're not paying attention to you. Yeah. And the way you do that, according to Heidi Grant Halverson, is you find a way to map in what is important to them. In other words, you find a way to become important to their objectives, find a way to help them achieve their goals. Right. That's when you get their attention. That's when you can say, okay, I'm going to give you an opportunity to earn my reassessment of who you are. The first time you told me about this and the first time we went over this part of the conversation, I had that light bulb effect on me where I was like, oh, aha. I've done that every single time. When I initially met what was soon to become a mentor of mine, I always had that lens of the power over. But I, it was never in terms of like investor, but I always realized they could affect the circle of influence that I had. They could either make my reputation better or worse, or they mm -hmm. could, you know, right. so I always process them through that lens, but I never really thought knew. about that's what you were doing. Yeah, until yeah. you told me that. And it, that's why I had the light bulb moment. Yeah. And we are vigilant about those who are perhaps in a circle of influence that we want to be in, that would be in a power position. Anybody that might have resources or influence to change what's important for us. Yeah. Uh, those are all people, uh, uh, usually our mentors are in the power position, of course. Well, the third lens is the ego lens. This one's interesting. Yeah. And the ego lens really just is asking the question, are you a threat to me? So it's the, are you doing what I'm trying to do? And are you doing it with the same people I'm trying to do it with? Yeah. And if you come up with the answer is, you know, when I'm sizing you up, when I meet you for the first time, I'm trying to figure out, are you playing in my part of the ball field? Yeah. You know, and if you are, I got to figure out how do I position myself or with respect to you? Are you better than I am or are you worse than I am? Because we try to defend our ego and we try mm -hmm. to defend what's our own self-esteem and the way our natural defense mechanisms, unless you become aware of this and you choose otherwise, our natural defense mechanism will either be to put you down, yep. diminish your capability because I need to be able to be strong in myself or to distance myself from you. Yeah. And I find this a lot in the business world. When I meet with people, I find a lot of people can really can almost sense when they're distancing themselves from me because they might perceive me as to be a threat. Yeah. And the best way to overcome that when you find yourself in a situation where you might be perceived as being threatening and you're not really trying to be threatening is just to show some modesty. Yeah. Affirm them, affirm their skills, and then find something common that you share that gives them that opportunity to connect with you. Maybe you go to the same school together. Yeah. You know? Or maybe you're in the Boy Scouts together. It's just funny when people see you as a threat because you're one of the most willing people to give away all your secrets. Not that you have any. You're like, yeah, here's all the ways that I coach and And consult. it could be my own insecurity yours. that makes me think that they see me as a threat. Well, they probably do. <laughs> Consultants can be like that. I, you know, the more I think about it since the first time we talked about it, I think one of the conclusions that I came to is that looking at this through the ego lens is that no matter who I talk to, at the end of the day, whether I see them as a threat or I don't, either way, I'm right. Yes. That every single person is either a threat. Every person isn't a threat. But either way, I'm going to be right. You're always going to defend yourself to be right. Right. And that's true on any of these lenses. Right. And that's the whole point of system one. System one is basically saying, I'm right, and I've got these biases. It takes system two 
to reassess and go, maybe I was wrong. Yeah. Now you had a guy call you. Yeah. Okay. So this is an interesting story. I'm glad you brought it up because I totally forgot about it now. So there was a team of pastors that came from a different church to the church that I was working at just for the sole purpose of being consulted by me mm-hmm. on church growth methodology or whatever the purpose was. So this is a long story short. After the meeting, I get a call from a, one of the guys that was in that group. And it was the guy who said barely anything that he was the quietest one in that group. Mm-hmm. And I get a call from him and he started it out in the weirdest way because he started it out with an apology. And first thing I think is, why is this guy apologizing? Like, yeah, we, did we talk. just barely met. Yeah, right? we, yeah. Did, we barely interacted. Why mm-hmm. are you apologizing? And he's saying he doesn't know where we went wrong and he thinks it's based on our initial interaction that something happened that he got a bad first impression of me and he checked out through the rest of the meeting because he says he's the only one that walked away not getting much out of the meeting where all the other three guys, they were motivated, inspired, and felt very encouraged. He said, I'm the only one that didn't and I feel like it was because of the first bad impression that I got from you and I just want to apologize about it, blah, 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 blah. And he wanted to reconnect and go on and so forth. But I, for someone who I gave a bad impression to, I will never forget that man because the way he handled that was back to the Abraham Lincoln yes, quote. Yes, very much. As he took responsibility, came back to me, and then he drove all the way back to have a second meeting with me from out of state. Yeah. I was like, what? Now this that, guy's amazing. That's amazing. And it stands in your mind. Oh, I'll as, never forget it. I mean, he made a first impression on you yeah. or you know, really changed your impression as well, right? Yeah. But that's exactly right. He's, he's got huge self-awareness to be able to do that. And that's something we all need to aspire to, to be able to say, when I think I've formed a bad impression of somebody, am I willing to go back and find out how to correct it? Yep. Well, let's suppose that we're sitting there and we know we've made a bad impression. Which I do quite often. <laughs> so how do I fix this, Larry? Well, according to Heidi Grant Halverson, what you got to do, and her you know, quote this, she says, you got to bombard them with overwhelming evidence, you know? Of evidence of what? Of overwhelming evidence of what you're all about. So you got to change oh. their way of thinking about you, which might be formed by that bad impression. You got to show them overwhelmingly that you're not what they think you are. Defense it's attorney that, and you're defending that yourself. shock and awe thing. You know, you've got to go big or go home. And you got to find some way to get their attention. There might be a number of ways to do this. One of the big ways you just described, which is to just basically give an apology and just say, you know what? If I were you, this is the conclusion I would draw about me. I was just thinking about our meeting and I came across, I think a little, you know, however you want to describe it. And you could say, I'm sorry, I, I was checked out or I wasn't myself because, you know, I'm dealing with this personal problem or whatever the the reason might be for your poor performance when you met somebody yeah. or maybe you were not paying attention or whatever and just say, you know what? I really feel badly about that. And I think I probably left a bad impression. I'd like the opportunity to have another meeting with you and really talk this through or whatever. Yeah. But just st- even starting off with an apology, like you said, you noted that that was a really unusual thing to do. And that can really create that attention getting that you need in order for somebody to go, oh, okay, um, that's interesting. Yeah. People don't normally apologize, just like you described, yeah. right? People don't normally apologize. So you've got to do something that gets them out of their pattern of thinking about something in system one mm-hmm. and into this cognitive where you're actually going to consciously think about who they are and give them that benefit of the doubt. I will say this. I learned from that guy and I applied that same thing later on in the future and it worked so amazingly well. It was unbelievable. I thought about it after I had an interaction with somebody and I knew that I was very dismissive. 
I didn't think about it on the spot. And I knew I was very dismissive after the fact. And I followed up with that guy, followed the process, apologized, made up. I will say this. I think I gained more influence with that person with my second impression way more than I could have with my first oh, impression. Yeah. Right. I am bar none. Exactly. Very you effective had a, tool. You had a great opportunity to do that. Yeah. Well, Dr. Halverson recommends a couple other things too. If you had a bad first impression that you can do to correct it. One is to help them want to revise their opinion of you by appealing to something that is of value to them. So in other words, mm. you appeal to maybe their sense of fairness or you appeal to them having this value of being able to judge people accurately. You can do this in a number of ways, but one of the ways that she suggests is you might even say something like, you know, in your line of work, I'm sure it's really important for you to accurately assess where people are coming down at. And you don't necessarily tie that back to you, but just saying it activates that part of the brain that will cause them to assess you fairly. And they've done a lot of research on this. They've analyzed people who were asked to give and then they were asked to give after they were told they were generous donors. Mm. And those who were told, hey, you know, you're a generous donor, would you give whatever? People want to live up to the thing that they're told about themselves if it's a value that they hold. Yeah. Most people will hold the value of saying, I want to accurately, fairly evaluate and judge other people. So finding a way to do that that isn't like too overt, but it's just a calm allows them to enter into it and acknowledge that that's at least subconsciously that that's something that they want to do as well. It works. Yeah. So many people have done that to me. Yeah. So I made a terrible consultant because I just never charged anyone because they would just appeal to that. <laughs> that appeal I, to you. I like, you oh, don't, let me you give you everything. You, you really, you really want to help out the underdog, right? Yeah. You, you really don't want to ask for money. Right. You? Like, oh, let me help you. Thank you that you see me as that. Thanks. You're going to take in the stray dog, right? Yeah, now I'm going to be homeless now. Yeah. <laughs> One of the suggestions she had that I thought was kind of wacky, but when you think about it, it's actually quite profound. And she says, one of the best ways to correct a bad impression is to find out when somebody is out of control and help them then. In other words, she's saying what? the person who you might have left a bad impression with, if something is going haywire in their life where they're just like, they're in a panic or they're in a crisis or something, if you find a time when you can be of value to them when they are trying to get control back in their life because mm. maybe they've got a project that's due or whatever it is, when life is really, really full and they can barely handle it, they feel a sense of out of control, they're more apt to pay attention to how people help them during that time than they would during a time of normal control. Oh my gosh. So come in and help them at their point of need when they're really stressed and you can help correct a bad impression. There was a guy... Him and I did not get along, but in our startup business, we were working with another business and they were doing the development side of things. And I drove this dude. I mean, I project managed him to the point of micromanagement because we just needed it to get on time. And you know, yep. developers, it's yep. always like 14 weeks after the deadline when they get things done. And I was not going to let that happen. So while we had this project, this guy hated me because I never accepted the delay in the project ever. Mm -hmm. And everything was urgent to me. Like the building was always on fire, right? And this guy hated me for the whole time. He hated me. Somebody in his family passed away. It's not anyone that he was very close to. But I remember thinking, oh, that sucks. And the only reason I found out is he wasn't there that day and I got upset. And I was like, yeah. no, this project needs to get done. And I was like, oh, I feel bad for getting mad at him. So I sent him a candle with like a psalm or something like that written on it and a card mm -hmm. with sympathies mm -hmm. and stuff like that. 
And I remember that guy from then on had an entirely different relationship with me. He was super cordial, kind, and I, I don't know. It was crazy. Well, when you're out of control, you're more apt to see things that are unusual. Yeah. And that's the time to act. I didn't even think about that until you said that's yeah. crazy. It works. That's it good. works. That's good. And then the last thing you can do is find a way to contribute to what a goal is for them. And yeah. that's the clearest way. If you've made a bad impression, find something they'll be attentive to you when they know they're dependent on you to get something done. That's important to them. Well, we're getting close to the end here. In fact, we were probably over time by this time, but As usual. we should, we should we're issue a challenge here. Don't you think? I think we're going to go with the challenge that based on the, the, the guy or the gentleman that I learned from, from the other church that came and met yeah. with me and following Lincoln's lead. Think of someone you don't like. And think about what steps can you take to reassess your opinion of them. Mm -hmm. So whoever left a bad first impression of you, rather than leaving that bad impression with them, put that responsibility on you. Go back just like that guy did with me and try to assess that situation and make it better. Whew. Yeah, and we can all find people that we don't have good impressions of. Oh, yeah. That'll be a long I'm task probably list. probably one of to... them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am for many people, I'm sure. But we hope you enjoyed this episode. Leave us a comment. Tell us about your first impression experiences. Drop us a line at our Reinventure Me show line at reinventure.me slash 71. Or better yet, even give us a phone call, 612-314-5447. Leave us a voice message. We'd love to respond to your comments. And of course, tell your friends about this show. If you found it helpful for you, <laughs> forward uh, this show on to them. And leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We love that, and it helps uh, get the word out about our show. Well, again, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Reinventure Me. And this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Thanks. So long till next week. You've been listening to the Reinventure Me podcast with your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi.